Hello and welcome to the Hole in My Heart podcast. This is episode 113, Why Your Name Matters. Welcome. I am your host, Lori Krieg, and we are coming at you from a snowy Grand Rapids, Michigan. And sadly, I am not alongside my favorite licensed therapist and Argyle expert, my husband, Matt Krieg. He's with the kids, the three little, little babies at home. <laughs> He's with them until I trade him later, and then he goes to work. Uh, but we do have our producer and the most professional radio voice among us, producer Steve. Hi, guys. Hey, Steve. And today we're talking names. Names, labels, identity, and I'm so excited to dive into this conversation with an author you all, you listeners, connected me to. So keep doing that. I love Mm -hmm. it when you guys send me names and ideas for podcasts, so you can do that at any time. But this person you connected me to, her name is Esther Fleece Allen. Esther, welcome. Oh, thank you for having me, Lori. It's an honor to be with you today. I am so glad you're here. A fellow Michigander, if if we could see you, we'd be holding up our hands and pointing <laughs> where on the mitten we're from. But you're 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 nearer the thumb, right? That's where you I from. am. I'm from the Detroit area and Michigan will always have a special place in my heart, oh. even in the cold months. Even <laughs> in the cold months. It just makes us hearty, hearty and gritty. That's yeah. what it's about. Resilient <laughs> is the word we'll choose. Uh, but for those of you who are unfamiliar with Esther and her ability to point point on her hand where she is from, Uh, but she is also a graduate of the Oxford Center for Christian Apologetics, and she's a current seminarian. She's also the author of No More Faking Fine, and the book we will explore today that is just recently released, and it's called Your New Name, Saying Goodbye to Labels That Limit. When Esther is not traveling, speaking, or writing, she enjoys making a home with her husband and son. Esther, we're so excited to dive into your new book today, including talking about your new name uh, and identity. But first, let's get to know you a bit better with a little lighter question that we asked you all listeners uh, via Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. You guys can find me, Lori Krieg. But the question we asked you and we're going to ask you, Esther, is what reality TV show do you watch or have you watched that you like to observe, but you're like, "Mm, yeah, nah. Yeah, not for me. I could never do that. Oh, no. I can't believe we're starting with this, Lori, because (laughs) I wonder if one of my friends put you up to this. I did. (laughs) You know, I have been on, I could get on a soapbox about the Bachelor and Bachelorette shows. And I've just, I truthfully have never been a fan. I think they've really, I'm going to lose some readers potentially with what I have to say, but I just think it has not set my generation up for successful dating or successful marriages. So as long as I can remember when that show started, my friends, even back in college would have parties and get togethers. And I just, I could never join. It's like, I've seen little clips of it and I'm like, that's all I need to see. So full disclosure, I'm not a huge TV watcher and I try to not judge those who watch the show, but it is just, it's, I, I couldn't do it. I, that's just not, it's just not for me. <laughs> yeah, no, I understand. It's like it is the epitome of a lack of reality in quote unquote reality TV. And uh, you you get where it like scratches the Disney itch in all of us. You know, That's so true. Like, that is true. And further than that, like the Jesus itch. Okay, I'll just go ahead. Here we go. But like the one that's like, okay, I long to be seen and loved and chosen, you know, but it's, it's just not Jesus. 
So, okay. Yeah. So I struggle with that. So I hope I'm not losing listeners by saying that, but it's just, it's not my, it's not my jam. Totally. (laughs) You are allowed to say that. (laughs) Steve, what listener stood out to you? I I liked this one. My name is Adeline and I'm listening to the show from the freezing cold location of Grand Rapids, Michigan. One of the shows I grew up um, watching with my family was Fear Factor and not counting the crazy heights that they would have to jump off of or jump out of helicopters. I could not handle the insects that they would have to eat. My gag reflex is horrible. In fact, anyone who has been to the orthodontist knows that you have to get impressions before you get fitted for your retainer. And when I was seven years old, I ran outside of the doctor's office and hid in the bushes because I was so afraid of getting my impressions. So definitely couldn't handle bugs or snakes or anything like that. And um, nope, you could not pay me enough money to be on that show. <laughs> I I'm with like, her on that too. Oh I'm yeah. with her on that. Oh yeah. Like yeah. Eating spiders? No way. No way. <laughs> right. I feel like I don't know if Fear Factor is still on. I mean, I I feel like I it was know. years ago that I, I I caught some episodes of that. And he's got other things like heights and other types of fears. But it seems like everybody remembers the eating gross things. Yeah. You know. Do. Uh, for me, kind of similar. It's Survivor. I like watching the show Survivor. Mm, mm. Uh, but there's no way. I mean, it's like beautiful. I love the, you know, like photography of the show, just some of the beautiful settings. But some of those challenges, there's just no way I would be gone in a day. But maybe I could stay for the rest of the 40, whatever, the duration of it and just kind of have a vacation. <laughs> Sit on a lounge chair and you eat go. everything they can't. <laughs> right. That'd be great. <laughs> Well, you're going to resonate with this listener, Katie, from Twitter. She said Survivor, Steve. There you go. And likes to watch, couldn't do. And <laughs> I thought that was funny because I feel the same way mm-hmm. is I would like to watch it. But honestly, the show that I do, the shows, Matt and I, we don't really have time for TV in our life at this moment with three tiny kids and jobs. Uh, but when we do, it's always some sort of food competition oh, of show. Of course. Yeah. yeah. We're like food crazy obsessed. <laughs> uh, and so like Chopped or um, Great British Bake Off, any of these we like to watch. But when I actually picture myself in that heightened tense situation, so not even heightened and tense, but sometimes literally intense. Hey. Great, great British Bake there Off. There you go. Okay, anyway, yes. I'm waking at you guys who watch it. Uh I couldn't do it. I would just fall apart and have a panic really? attack. Yeah, mm. for sure. Okay. We want to hear more of the heart of your story, Esther. Um, and this is how we begin. This is how we begin every conversation with guests on this show. And it's this set of questions, which is this. If the gospel is, I am more loved than I imagine, and yet more sinful than I believe, when was that gospel first good news for you and how is it still? I love that you start the podcast with that question because, you know, the gospel changes everything, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, I was um, I share in my first book, No More Faking Fine, that I grew up in a difficult uh, family like many of us. We, mm-hmm. we come from brokenness. Really, I mean, if you want to get down to it, every family since the fall is a broken family. Um, yeah. But, you know. I had a, I had a rough upbringing. I remember, however, just being sensitive to the Lord, even though my biological parents were going through a bad divorce and my father suffered from a mental illness and my mother later abandoned me as I was heading into my teenage years. 
um, I would still find myself in churches. I would hear the word of God and we know the word of God never returns void. And so I just had a deep awareness. I mean, really, honestly, even in elementary school of my need for a savior, um, as my parents were abandoning me and I was hearing that this God of the universe delighted in me and wanted to rescue me and be my father, uh, it changed my life. And so um, I can't pinpoint like what specific day I was saved. I just remember being sensitive to the Holy Spirit at a young age and becoming God's daughter at a young age. But I almost focused so much on my depravity for years and maybe even decades, Mm. like of just how much I needed God. And I do, and I always need God, but I missed, I think the other part of that message, because it's a both and, isn't it? Oh yeah. And I missed that I was deeply loved more than I imagined. And so I feel like um, this next book, Your New Name, is kind of that discovery process of, you know, I've gone through laments, I've gone through suffering, I've gone through struggle, and God has been with me in that, and God has not defined me by that. Um, But now who am I moving forward? And I'm so grateful that Uh, those labels like forgotten or unwanted, you know, or unloved. I'm so grateful that those don't have to go with me moving forward because God gives me a new name and he names me out of his love for me. Mm -hmm. So I I think not only did the gospel change me, you know, decades ago, but it is still changing me every day as I believe who God says I am. Yeah, girl. Mm. And this is why I'm excited to talk with you. So thank you for that. So this was the first book of yours I read. I want to read your other on lament because we truly are lament obsessed around here. That's a weird sentence, but it's true. We've done (laughs) several episodes on the beauty and necessity of lament. Um, But like I mentioned to you before we started recording is I cried several times throughout, um, throughout this new book of yours, this this one that's called your new name. And it wasn't because it was driving me to lament. It was actually startlingly driving me to the foot of the cross and grace. And um, before Mm. we, before we really hit that moment where where the tears were streaming, uh, I would just love to hear why, why did you start thinking about the significance of names? Sure. Well, you know, I think for the last, I mean, probably 10 to 12 years, I've been very passionate about uh, studying this language of lament. It's in both the Old and New Testament. And I love that you're familiar with it because truthfully, a lot of us don't have a lot of room in our Christianity for the language of lament. But I mean, if you took the laments out of the Bible, you would have a very thin Bible. Mm -hmm. So all of us need to incorporate this language of lament in our Christian spiritual life. So I've spent, you know, more than a decade studying this language of lament and which means you're also living it, you know, cause you can't, God's not going to give you a message if you're not going to first learn it yourself and live through it. Um, but you know, there's a Psalm that stuck out to me. Psalm 40, um, mm says that God puts a new song in our heart and a hymn of praise. And that is done after a season of despair. And that one Psalm kind of perked my interest of that word new. And what does new mean in scripture? And, you know, I'm familiar with God being the God of, you know, the new Testament. I'm familiar with how he gives us a new heart. He puts a new spirit in us. We're ministers of the new covenant. I've I've definitely heard this word new, but this 
this was different to me. And I thought, what new thing is God doing inside of me in the midst of my despair? Mm -hmm. And so that kind of got me in this journey of discovering what new things does God do inside of us? And I think our new name is so important. And I think it's not really talked about. And naming is so significant in scripture that I wanted to start studying what's the meaning of a name? Why do names matter? And how can that be a part of our new identity moving forward after a season of despair? Hmm. That's really important. And I love just the the sentences you're putting together, even in this interview of, yes, despair, because I'm sure there's listeners listening who understand that. But there's something, suffering is never for nothing. As Elizabeth Elliot said, like, there's always something new God's doing. So can you help me understand and help listeners who haven't read your book yet and your unpacking of this naming process? What What's the difference between names and labels? And how do those relate to identity? Yeah. Well, that's a great question because uh, there is a huge difference. And when you go back to the Bible's original languages, the word label hardly ever appears. When it does appear, it's kind of like somebody calls somebody something. Um, And I think every single one of us has a story of when we've been misunderstood or mislabeled or somebody's called us something that has maybe hurt us or wounded us. Um, I don't know why this happens, maybe just because it's easier to believe the negative, but a lot of times we take those labels on as our name. Hmm. Um, So labels just, they're not really that significant. They're not what we're supposed to be living out of. They're not what God's name is for us. Naming is so much deeper and naming is true to our core and our new name goes with us even into eternity. It says in the book of Revelation, actually, that when we overcome, we're given new names and that, that even God himself has new names that he will reveal to us. And so as we go on this journey with God, discovering our new name. It really is the work that God is doing inside of us. Hmm. Um, There are many examples in the Bible where God physically changed somebody's name. And I hope to kind of give the readers introductions to that in each chapter. You know, we see Jacob being renamed to Israel in the middle of wrestling with God. We see Sarai called Sarah. We see Abram called Abraham. So there, there are definitely examples of physical name changes in both the Old and the New Testament. But every single one of us who are a new creation in Christ will get a new name from God. And sometimes it's a spiritual name change which all of us need, you know, we need to go from angry to being good forgivers. Uh, We need to go from being lost and forgotten to embraced and chosen. Mm -hmm. So there are, there are beautiful names that God has for us that he wants us to live out of. And they're, they're more true to our identity than the labels that we have been settling for. Hmm. So our given birth name could essentially be a label even given for us like that, I guess, help, help me understand even like the relationship between what you're talking about, which essentially you're saying this name, this new name that God's giving us will give us. It's this new thing God's doing in us. But we were tangibly, physically named at one point, most of us, you know, unless, you know, you mentioned Christine Kane in the book and how she was given the name unnamed on her birth certificate, but oh man, but for those of us who were, you know, given a name, how does that relate to what you're talking about? 
Yeah, well, I think sometimes our new names are right in front of us and our names can take meaning when we start to go through this process of discovering what our name really means. And what I mean by that is I was named Esther and I never liked that name. It felt like too old for a little girl. And I remember in elementary school, everyone would get things engraved and they would you know, come with pencils with their name on it and keychains with their name on it. And like, you couldn't get Esther anywhere. You know, it's just not a common name. And hmm. I it just never really had meaning to me. But as I started really discovering that God cares about names, you know, I looked at the book of Esther in the Bible and I realized that Esther was orphaned, uh, but yet God gave Esther courage and Esther pleased God. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it just, it made my name have meaning all of a sudden that it just wasn't named, you know, for whatever I, I started believing maybe God named me, maybe God chose that name. And even though I was later orphaned in life, maybe God could still use me. Mm. So I think sometimes our new names can be right in front of us. Um, and that's the thing it's, it's our name changes are deeply personal. And sometimes, I mean, in scripture, at least no two are alike. We see so many different examples. Um, even the disciples becoming fishers of men who were fishermen, there was a there was a deep identity change. Some of the disciples had name changes, but not all of them did. And so sometimes our new name is right in front of us. Um, but sometimes our, our name that we are given even physically at birth, when we start to look it up and we start to ask God, is there purpose in this? We might be surprised and it might take on meaning that we didn't see before. Ooh, I can relate to that in uh, Lori. It means when I first looked it up when I was young was of the laurel tree. And I was like, well, that's dumb. (laughs) But then I looked up, okay, what's a laurel tree? Oh, it's like what they put on Olympians back in the day around their heads. That's the amazing. Yeah. So it means Victor, victorious. And then my last name before I was married was like gatekeeper. And now it's Krieg, which means war. And I just change it to warrior. So now it's victorious warrior, but I, I, yeah, I love that Lori. Yeah, I love that. And that's, that's the thing. I think, you know, sometimes people are a little skeptical, like, do we all get a new name? And you know, not all of us are going to go to the DMV and change our physical name. Yeah. Um, but I think every single one of us, I think God wants us to have an understanding of the meaning of our name. And Hey, if you don't like your name, God can give you another one. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I give an example in the book of my friend who uh, has a Jewish background. She was never given a Hebrew name and it just, it made her feel so left out in the Jewish community because a Hebrew name is very important to the Jewish community. Um, and, and she felt in her discovery of her new name, she felt God give her a Hebrew name and she didn't go to the DMV and change her physical name. And she didn't change it on Facebook, but she has heard from God what her Hebrew name is. And Mm. she believes it. And it was a deeply personal thing between her and God. And that's what I want the readers to encounter. You know, I want them to ask God, how do you see me and how can I move forward in the victory? Like you're talking about, God wants us to overcome. God wants us to be victorious, but we have to start hearing from him who we really are. Um, And that's the thing about names. They speak into our future. They speak about who we're becoming. God never labels us or names us out of our past or out of our sin or what we're coming from. And that's where I was stuck for years. I thought, well, I was a victim and I was orphaned and I was abandoned. I was unloved. And so when I go around the world sharing my testimony, I'm reminded of all these old labels. And God was finally like, yes, all those things happened. We don't minimize those, 
we bring those to God and then we ask, but God, who do you say that I am? And that empowers us to move forward in the Christian life. Mm. All right, let's let's talk about those negative labels, because that was essentially what you said, which could be interchanged for just false names that you've put on yourself. I I've you know, I'm Matt's a therapist, my husband, and so and and we just walk with people who are in pain in general and, and we'll hear things like, Oh, this one teacher in second grade said I was stupid and they mm-hmm. can't get past it, which is where we insert lament. <laughs> like that's such yes. the, the tears that unlock the wounding, um, and listening prayer and all that right there. But there's people who cling to these, I'm stupid. He said I was dumb. And there's this sense of, you know, they don't want it. And yet it feels safe to wear those names, those negative labels. Can you talk about that a little bit? Sure. You know, I share in my first book, I do want you to read this part because I share how a counselor was key to unlocking this for me too. And we've Mm -hmm. got to start identifying these labels. Sometimes we live out of them subconsciously, but sometimes we, I don't know, almost use them as an, an excuse. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think of the example that I had all these walls around my heart and my counselor said to me, you're so comfortable with these walls that you've even decorated them. Like Ooh. you've put pictures on them and you've put mirrors on them and, but God wants the walls to come down. And that's the thing. God wants these labels to come down. And, mm. um, so we've got to, we've got to first identify what those are and recognize that sometimes we're attaching to negative things and it's the enemy's way of keeping us in this cycle and keeping us away from the future that God has for us. Let me give you a quick example. You know, Sarai in the Bible um, experience infertility. And, you know, some of God's leading ladies in the Bible experience infertility. It is a deep pain for families to go Mm -hmm. through. And Sarah was unable to have physical kids. I mean, for decades, I mean, even approaching, you know, her nineties, can you imagine Mm -hmm. she had just given up hope? And so she identified, you know, with this label of infertile. And she even tried to take things into her own hands. Uh, When God had promised her different, God had given her a new name. God had said to her husband that he was going to be the father of nations, which she would obviously be a part of. Um, But unfortunately, she just, she clung to this infertile label. Um, And so it clouded her ability to even have faith. And she began to take things into her own hands. And I realized that I do that when I live out of these labels. I take things into my own hands and it's almost like self-fulfilling prophecy. Like, well, I was orphaned, so I'll never be loved. You know, I'm Mm -hmm. never, my own parents didn't want me, so I'm, I'm not lovable. And we, we just start putting these walls around our heart and then we start decorating the walls and suddenly our lack becomes our identity instead of asking God for something new. And again, God is always doing something new. We're never too old for God to do something new inside of us. But we've got to first identify what these old labels are, and we've got to be willing to walk away from them. I feel like there's, is there another step there? Is there like confession? Is there, how do you root those lies out? Like, I want to rip them out with you as you're saying it. So what's that process? Yeah, there's confession, there's repentance, there's the need for community. I mean, I I share about these labels I lived with for decades. And so they just didn't come off overnight. I mean, for some of us, we'll be able to leave lies 
behind overnight. And that's mm. wonderful. Yeah. I think the vast majority of us have to fight in our Christianity to believe that God's words are true and to believe who he says we are. And so for, I think, you know, really all of us, it, that's going to take community. For me, it took a counselor. I needed a counselor to sit with me. And, you know, for him, I mean, my counselor, I, I dedicated my first book to him because uh-huh. he was just such a huge part of my healing journey. And he, he, at one point when I was talking about, I was in my late 20s and I never wanted to date. And he was kind of like, you know, getting to the heart of, and, you know, I thought it was because I was a good Christian girl and I wanted to protect my heart and guard my heart. And, you know, he saw the other side of that, which was unhealth and, you know, not believing that I was worthy and not believing that I was lovable. And so he really kind of dove deep into those areas. Um, and I needed the help of a counselor, uh, to see things that I couldn't see. So all of us will have, well, different stories, but we will likely, it will likely involve confession. It will likely involve repentance. Mm. It will likely involve identifying labels. And it will also involve asking God, who do you say that I am? And I think Mm. some of us, we get saved and then we just move forward and think we're supposed to be strong and suck it up and just figure things out on our own. But there is just a deep beauty in our Christian walk when we get to go to God to say, who do you say that I am? How do you name me? How do you see me? And would you help me live out of that? And he will. Mm -hmm. He will not only speak to us individually, he will speak to us in the context of community. And um, I think all of us are going to get new names for the rest of our lives. This isn't just like a one and done thing. We, We need to constantly be asking God, who do you say that I am? Mm. And I want to say too, in addition to being lament obsessed, we're a little shame obsessed here in the sense that we like to shred it. For people who hear words like confession, repentance, and they automatically feel the like cloying hands of the enemy being like, yeah, you should confess and hate yourself. So while they're even like, I'm so sorry, you know, God, that I've, I've, called myself worthless and I'm worthless because I've called myself worthless. Like Mm -hmm. I see you, we see you and we don't let the enemy like double lie you, like trap you even in, in shredding that label from yourself. Yeah. And you know, I write in my first book a little bit about what real confession is and it comes from the root word of it's the same root word as comfort is when we confess things to the Lord, when we confess our sin, or our shortcomings, or our lack, it actually, it, it has the same root word as comfort. And that's mm. why he comforts the brokenhearted. You know, he comes to us when we are admitting where we need him. And so there's a great um, intimacy that's birth. you know, similar to a marriage relationship. If I go to my husband and say like, I am struggling in this area, or I need help in this area. I mean, a good husband would respond in a loving way. And how much more good and grace-filled is God? Mm. You know, he doesn't um, correct us out of, you know, just a stern rebuke. He corrects us out of his love for us. It's Mm. his kindness that even leads us to repentance to begin with. And so I think the point of confession is actually the point of comfort from God that most of us have been longing for. Yeah, girl. Mm. Okay, can you tell us, can you describe for us the scene where you really first embraced the the name daughter? Yeah, you know, I, I had a rough relationship with my biological mom. And, um, you know, part of the lament is that I'm, I am not reconciled to my biological family. And, 
Uh, you know, we see that in scripture where there have been family members that are cut off and it's very difficult. Um, and so this, this night in particular, um, I do, I do talk about where I was kicked out of my house and that was like a regular occurrence when I was in my middle school years and I would just have to find a place to sleep. I would sleep with, you know, over at friends' houses or families that I babysat for, or even coaches, Um, but this day in particular, I found myself at church. It was on a Wednesday night and there was a family there. They're just a wonderful family. They're one of my families to this day. Um, and they came up to me and just said, is there anything you need? And I was, you know, I was very defensive because I was still faking fine. (laughs) I still didn't want people to know what I was going through, but I was very defensive and they just welcomed me into their home. They asked me to come over for dinner the following night, they asked me to start nannying for their family. And just, it really felt like overnight, this family took me in as their daughter and they still, I mean, I am their spiritual daughter Mm -hmm. and they are my spiritual family. And, um, it says in the book of Psalms that God places the lonely in families. And so when I looked at my physical circumstances, I certainly was orphaned and I was forgotten and I was forsaken and I needed to deal with that. I needed to lament that and not minimize that. Um, but also there came a point to where I needed to say, wait a second, God has made me his daughter. God has adopted me. That is one of my new names. And then God put wonderful families in my life. And it's plural. He gave me wonderful families Hmm. um, to show me a love and a comfort and a security. And I am a spiritual daughter to many. Um, And so it's really neat when God does a spiritual work in our hearts, you know, making us a new name like daughter. Uh, But it's sometimes real fun to see it play out in the physical. And Mm. that's just how kind God is, is he knows we need those um, extra reinforcements, you know, in the physical realm to help us believe who he says that we are. I love that. And it, it just exhorts me again, someone with just husband and kids now, and, and we try to open up our hearts and our lives to single people in our world. And, but even just thinking, okay, is there a middle schooler who got kicked out of her house. They didn't know that and had no shoes and then got shoes from somewhere else and then comes to church. Like, can I not cram my schedule full so that my heart is open to see someone like you uh, when you were in junior high and, and invite them into our home? Can I, ooh, it's just convicting my own heart right now. How, where can I open up my life? Sorry, I'm so glad. Let me, let me just say something really please. quick because that alone, you know, um, ministers to me, you know, and that alone makes it worth it to write a book like this because, you know, I was, I was 13, 14, 15. I probably should have gone into the foster care system and I didn't know how to ask for help. I didn't know what lament was. Mm. And these families just recognized that I had a need Mm. and they recognized that there was something off and they pursued me in that. And God's, I mean, God showed himself to me in that. Uh, One family bought me a car. One family paid for my gas money. One family paid for me to have a prom dress so I could go to prom. One family paid for me to apply for colleges. I mean, you know, this is, this is what the body of Christ looks like. And I think one of the biggest things that this family later said to me is, you know, we were in the suburbs. (laughs) Like we thought we had to go down to Detroit to find orphans, you know, or we thought, you know, we needed to go over to Africa to work in a village, but here we were in the suburbs and there were needs in the suburbs. 
And I'm so grateful that they paid attention. And I think every single one of us, it's a challenge to love our neighbor. And there's somebody on our street, there's somebody in our kid's school that does need to know the love of our heavenly father. And I think God's plan A is to use people Mm -hmm. to show to show those kids, to show those families, to show those that are in broken spaces um, that God is with them. So thank you for sharing that. That's not a small thing for me to hear. You know, oh, that is yeah. makes it worth it for me to share my story when God would raise up other moms to think of other kids in their community. So yes. that's beautiful. Thank you. And thank you for popping in. And just for those listening, we can't just do our lives head down, take the kids to soccer and band and, da, 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 and just do that and pull into the garage and shut the garage. Like, and not that any of that in and of itself is wrong, but in our going, make disciples. So open up our hearts, put our heads literally up, open our yeah. eyes, stop staring at our phone and ask the Lord, is our spirit willing and open for that chirotic Holy Spirit moment to say this one, just say this word. Yeah. And love our neighbor. I mean, what is the, what is the great commandment? You know, love God and love our neighbor. And that's the thing. I think sometimes we want to pick out who our neighbors are Mm -hmm. and we want to pick out the right subdivisions and we want to pick out the right schools and we make it about us. We're called to love our neighbor. And so there are going to be neighbors right next door. And again, in your kid's school um, or in your kid's sports that are going to need the love of a family. And so we've got to see like side of our own nuclear family and think, how do I love my neighbor and show my neighbor the love of Christ? Amen. All right. Well, I'm going to shift us to an, I feel like we just sidebarred with like a triple underline, very necessary. There's the price of the podcast sidebar. Now here's another one. We'll see where this goes. But, you know, there seems to be this identity obsession kind of right now, you know, with the Enneagram, you're such a four, you're such a nine. I am this. And, you know, I am my attractions. I am this. While at the same time, like a total throwing out of identity. Like I'm, everything's fluid. Everything is this and that. Like, what are some of the gifts, not gifs, but gifts of having a a culture that is identity focused and yet there's some fluidity. What are some of the gifts of that? And then what are, what's some of the like, not okay with what's going on? Yeah, you know, I'm, it's a great question. And you're really showing uh, the inconsistencies. You know, when we don't have a worldview rooted in the word of God, mm. uh, our belief systems are going to be very confusing and very conflicting. And that is exactly what we see. Yep. You know, we see the message from the culture of just embrace who you are um, and just follow your heart which is not in the Bible. Um, And then we see like, you can't tell other people what to do, Mm. but yet I'm going to tell you what you're supposed to believe. You know, you can't believe in absolutes, but I'm going to say you're absolutely wrong. Like it's so confusing and it changes so quickly. I just, I can't believe it. I can't believe that, you know, when I read the book of Genesis and I saw God say, I made them male and female. And he like repeats it a couple of times. I almost thought it's like redundant. Like, why do you keep saying like, I made them male and female? Mm. Well, look at our culture now. Mm. I mean, where we want to say there is no male and female or they're one in the same, you know, Mm. God's making it clear that there is a difference. There is a distinction. Mm. 
one thing that I tried to do in your new name was give an example of what Daniel went through in the Old Testament. And I never realized that Daniel and his friends were renamed when they were taken into captivity. You know, Daniel's original name meant God is my judge. And his friends all had names that reflected who God is. Like Hananiah's name meant the Lord shows grace. Michelle's name meant um, who is like God. Um, So all of these men had Hebrew names and meanings that glorified God. But when they were taken into captivity, the first thing that happened is they were renamed by the culture around them. And these names stood in stark contrast of who God had named them, of what their names meant and who it reflected. And so you all of a sudden see their names take on different meanings, like serving Baal, who was a foreign God. Mm. And some theologians think that um, by changing their name, they were trying, the Babylonian empire was trying to wipe out the name of Yahweh, was trying to wipe out the name of God. Hmm. And I was just challenged in my study of if I don't know who I am and how God names me, I will inevitably be redefined and renamed by the culture. Oh, girl. I will start looking at, well, what does the culture say that I'm called? And who's the culture say that I am? And how does the culture say I should date? And what does the culture say that my marriage should look like? And what does the culture say that my identity should be this week or this month or this year? And so it is so important that we go to God for who our names are and we listen to what God says because it matters to God. Our names reflect him. Mm -hmm. We are new creations in him and we bear his image. So this is very serious to God. And I think that that's just of the utmost importance. We've got to go to God first. We've got to ask him who we are. We've got to let him define us. And if not, we're going to really be redefined by the culture around us. That's so important. And I'm I'm just thinking as you're talking, because we've we've not shied away from challenging conversations on this podcast. And we've had people who wrestle with gender dysphoria on here. And I'm thinking specifically, if you guys are listening and you're like, oh, I legit wrestle with my dysphoria regarding my gender. And I look in the mirror and this is like genuine pain. So we're not negating that. We see you. We love you. We want you to keep listening. But I want to refer you guys to the conversation we had with Heather Scriba, who transitioned from female to male socially. uh, And then her starting point was people loving her where she was. Then she heard from the Lord. Her name first was daughter. (laughs) And then God had her take her tangible physical given name and and go back to Heather. But I, I just want to to see you who are wrestling and say, yeah, everything you're saying, Esther, is right on. And there is there is a there is a male, female. There is we have to align ourselves with the father and his his good design. He's God and we're not. But then at the same time, I, w- I want to see you guys who are wrestling, but just know that it wasn't just Heather being like, well, fine, I'll be Heather. It was the father seeing her and loving her in the midst of her genuine dysphoria and saying to her, you're my daughter. And that's not a cookie cutter label I'm throwing on you. That's your identity with me. Whew. Yes. And and Jacob gives us the example of in the Old Testament, Jacob was renamed to Israel right in the middle of his wrestle. Oh, snap. You know, this, this isn't like, okay, go like figure everything out. 
live a perfect life and then you get renamed. Yep. And sometimes your new name, like daughter, is going to come right in the middle of that wrestling. And we've got to be willing to say, do we align our identity with who God says we are? And you know, this, this chapter that I wrote, it was a little bit tricky because you know, the publisher always wants you to use examples. Mm. And they, I understand that examples are important and story is important, but I felt like there's so many hot button issues in our culture that I almost could be distracting. Yeah. You know, if I, if I talk like gender dysphoria, like what you're talking about, but mm-hmm. you are right on Lori and we've got to have space in our Christianity to wrestle and then ultimately submit to God's will and God's authority. And Jesus gives us that model too. Jesus wrestled in the garden and just said, is there any other way father? Like he shows us that lament of like, this is hard. You know, I don't like this story. I I'm struggling. Um, yet what did Jesus do? He submitted to the father. And I think that's what we're missing in our culture. We're like, okay, we're all in this struggle. And then we're just, we just embrace what we want to embrace. And that's, that's not what Christians do. Mm. We are in a struggle, every single one of us. And then we ask God for help in submitting to his Lordship and submitting to his leadership. And I think 100% of the time that means dying to self, you know, it doesn't say take up your cross and follow your dreams or take up your cross and be who you want to be, or take up your cross and follow your heart. You know, it's, it's take up your cross and follow me. And we've got to be willing to die to these old labels and maybe even appearances and what we want and take up the new name that God has for us. Mm. Yes, yes, yes. And that, friends, is not death just for death's sake. That is the only place we can find life. Okay, we got to go there because this is the place where I had tears streaming down my face in the coffee shop. And it was when you found your wedding dress. So throughout the story, you are wrestling with your, you know, this naming of yourself, your name change when you're getting married. Can you describe this moment? Yeah, you know, I think a lot of it, there is the backstory of I was, you know, I was, uh, I don't know, I had a lot of friends in high school, but I, I was going through a lot of suffering and I didn't always have the right clothes or I couldn't always afford the dresses for dances or getting my hair and nails done for dances like girls my age wanted to do. And so there was just a lot of pain that I had in this whole subject of a dress. And so I really dreaded wedding dress shopping. I thought it would feel like bathing suit shopping. And I thought they would be so expensive. I could never afford dresses and they are so expensive. My goodness. Um, but you know, I went, uh, this one weekend and this, this was with a family I share about in the book, another one of these spiritual families that took me in and is still family to me to this day. We went wedding dress shopping the weekend that I was engaged and I just had very low expectations. And uh, sure enough, there was this like celebrity wedding dress designer that was having a trunk show at Neiman Marcus. I couldn't believe it. And (laughs) my sister, this is my sister through adoption. And she was just like, you know, don't put your hopes up. Like we're just going to have fun, you know? (laughs) And this wedding designer just comes up to me and says, I know that you're the bride. And would you try in some of my dresses? And I just, it was like, I wanted to tell her like, no, 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 like, no, you know, don't give me attention. I don't deserve attention. I can't afford your dresses. Like, again, I was stuck in those old labels of too poor and couldn't afford this and didn't deserve this and damaged goods. And I was just much more comfortable in the undeserving part, you know, Mm -hmm. but God wanted me to see 
who I was becoming. And that was a bride. And to make a long story short, I, I try to detail it in the book, but, um, I tried on these beautiful wedding dresses and not only did this wedding dress designer affirm my beauty, which was something that I was struggling to believe about myself. Um, but this family said, we want to buy this dress for you. Mm. And it just, it still moves me to emotion that God would give me such a beautiful dress and write this story. And it's to me, a picture of grace that God does give us gifts that we can't earn, you know? And, and if I were to start like making payments on this dress, it would take away the gift that it was to me. Mm. And I think some of us try to do that with our salvation. You know, we try to like pay God back with our good works and, and, you know, just doing the right thing and listening to the right music and going to the right churches and Bible studies and we're missing the point of the gift, Mm. you know? And so this wedding dress was such a tangible example of how God gifts us with things that we can't earn, that we don't deserve. And he helps us to believe that we are becoming something worthy and beautiful. And all of us are the bride of Christ, (laughs) you know? Mm. So it was a very moving day for me to receive that dress as a gift and, um, help. It helped me become a a physical bride here on earth, but it helped me to also understand who I am to God. Yeah. The bride of Christ. I, I think I, as you're saying that right now, I'm just putting myself in your, your metaphorical wedding shoes, like picturing myself in that moment. And I just picture like Jesus as that trunk show designer. And You know, there'd maybe be some of me that feels like, oh, I tricked him or, you know, her actually, but I tricked him into giving me this grace gift of a dress. Like somehow I, I look good enough. And so he's like, oh, here, you actually deserve this when actually we can't trick Jesus into giving us this grace gift. He actually knows the depth of our depravity better than we do. Mm -hmm. And yet he still gives us this this gorgeous, priceless gift of his life, of this gown you got, but of his life. And so we can't, we can't trick him. It's not like he's looking the other way. He actually knows us better than we know ourselves. And yet he lavishes this grace upon grace on us. Yeah. Yeah. And he is the one who clothes us with strength and dignity, you Mm -hmm. know, and he is the one who gives us new names. I think I was challenged in the study of naming that I don't see where we're given permission to name ourselves. I I think it's God who names us. It's God who renames us. It's God who gives us an identity and births that process in us and then sees it to completion. It's not dependent on me, you know, to finish in the faith. God is able to keep me in the faith. And many times, you know, it, it includes my involvement. I can't just sit on the sidelines or be lukewarm. Um, but gosh, if we could get that revelation that God names us out of his love for us, I think it changes how we live. I really do. Mm. Man, Esther, I see why our guests connected us together. (laughs) I feel like you're a sister from another mother. Um, but can you leave our listeners with, Just a final word. If they're listening, again, they're going to click this off and maybe they're like, okay, I I have a longing. How, what can they do right now about this, this name thing? Where, where can they go with it? Yeah. Well, 
I hope they pick up the book and not because yes. I want book sales, but because I really have tried to give different examples in every chapter of how God renames us. And so I want them to have hope that whatever season they're in, whether they're wrestling like Jacob or whether they're struggling with this label of infertility, like I want them to have hope that there have been great people in the faith that have gone before us and that have been transformed by God. Um and, and so I, I think that that's step one. And then also just ask God, I think like, again, I don't know where along in our lines, we, in our Christian faith, we think I have to pull it all together now and figure things out. Um, but I think asking God, who do you see me as? And, and who do you say that I am is a great first step. Mm. And at the end of every chapter, I try to outline different labels that we've believed about ourselves. And then I also offer the reader hope of here are some new names. Again, sometimes our new names are right in front of us, but sometimes our new name is going to be a, a divine revelation that God gives. Like the example of uh, your other friend that was on that said, I'm a daughter and yep. it's going to be deeply personal to you. And so mm -hmm. your name change might look different than your neighbors. That's why we don't compare each other, but man, we all get this opportunity to ask God, what is my new name? And that's what I would love for your listeners to do. Mm. All right, guys. Well, we want you to do that. Please go get this book. It's a really, it's a quick read, but it is very precious. It's hopeful. It's practical. Like she just mentioned those uh, end of chapter things. Like you you can underline which name is standing out to you that you have labeled yourself. And then what is a new name God wants to say? And you can just circle it. So you don't have to write it down. You can just circle it, which was really a powerful exercise. But Esther, thank you so much for sharing your heart, this pra these practical steps and finding these names and just um, just opening up your life for us. Oh, you bet, Lori. I love hearing about the meaning of your name <laughs> and how God's going to continue to make you victorious as you minister to us. So thank you. You're so welcome. Guys, we would love to hear what you think about this episode. What, you know, we've actually done uh, questions of the week of what your name means, but if this episode kind of unpacked that further for you, you just let us know. And, or if you are just working on shredding some old labels from yourself, will you email us at podcast at com and you can send us your email uh, prayer requests and we really will pray for you. We've got a team that we're building. Um, some of them for, are from the old HIMH, Hold My Heart Ministries into this new phase and some are new faces and hearts that are so eager to hear your stories and to pray for you. And guys, if you're with us next week, which we hope that you are, we have a question of the week for next week, which is, what snack do you love that you get judged for liking? Somebody told me they like banana Laffy Taffies. Them's gross. So that's just a wrong answer. I'll just strike it from the record. No, no, I want to hear y'all's weird things and we'll just talk about it. So, all right. Thanks so much for joining us today, guys. We appreciate you and your names and um, just the new adventure God has you on as well as us. So for all of us here at the Hole in My Heart podcast, we will see you next week. <laughs>